Let's read the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 1 verse 7 uh, says this, They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those living in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and in Cappadocia, in Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to each other, what does this mean? And uh, yeah, before we get into this, just, um, you know, we live in a society that is, it's really hard to focus um, and if, if it helps you to take notes, then, you know, I would encourage you to bring a little notebook. And uh, it's also good to have the written word in front of you. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, easy to kind of move away from that as things really are more and more convenient. But it is a good practice to have a Bible, either as a physical copy or on your phone. Uh, it's, you know, they're all just mediums, right? So um, anyway, that's... The, Just a little reminder, uh, you know, to myself and to us here today. So this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. This is the last Sunday in the post-Easter part of the church year. After, after, so from next week onwards, which is Trinity Sunday, we'll then be moving into the after Pentecost part of the church year, also known as Ordinary Time. In the September 2022 edition of Faith Today magazine, um, the writer, whose name is uh, Patricia Paddy, she writes this. She says, um, no, she said this. um, Where is it? Okay, it would be nice if she said the scripture, but she didn't say the scripture. I'm going to read it to you, and uh, then um, you can just hear it. The... Evangelicals, I know, humbly, humbly pursue God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. She writes this, We believe that God is with us, that he speaks to us, guides us, and works through us as we participate in his mission to bring about wholeness and healing to the world he created and loves. Evangelicals are deeply committed to doing justice, to being good neighbors, and to sharing the best news that there is. I feel no shame in any of this. That's what the writer writes. And I would say that I agree. Uh, however, in the same article, she also says this. Uh, here it is. Um, you know, it's not there either. I'm just going to read it to you. And uh, then we'll maybe, when you're, if you're joining us online, I may have figured out how to put it up on the screen there. Um, but she says this in the same article. She says, it's a hard time to call yourself evangelical in Canada. So hard, many of us don't readily apply the label to ourselves anymore, at least not in non-evangelical company. And then she writes this, I don't. And that's the end of the quote, and I would agree with her, is that I rarely refer to myself as an evangelical. In fact, as Wesleyans, our origin story is, it's a little bit different, because the Wesleyans came out of the Methodist church, who came out of a renewal movement in the Anglican Church in the 1700s. Um, However, kind of in spirit, we are evangelical in the sense that um, we are founded on the gospel, um, we are founded on the good news of Christ, we are founded on the kingdom that is here and, and is also coming. So we are evangelical in that sense. 
However, I don't call myself evangelical very much at all. Um, and these words from Dr. Marilyn Draper can help me understand why this is. And this is on the screen. Here it is. Many students, pastors, and faculty members don't want to use the, the evangelical label anymore either uh, because as soon as you use the term, you have to qualify it, uh, which is probably why I don't use it much at all. In other words, when I say evangelical, I might mean this, but you might hear this. Um, and then the same article uh, also quotes Lee Beach of McMaster College in Hamilton, Ontario, who says this, the public perception is that evangelicals have a very narrow-minded view of the world, a very parochial and a bigoted and a racist view of life, misogynist. Now, that public perception of evangelicals is vastly different from the self-perception of evangelicals. I hope that none of us would refer to ourselves as that. If not, there are other churches that you can attend to, or I'd like to introduce you to my Saviour, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it, it's a very different view. In fact, according to the um, Angus Reed Institute slash Cardus study, almost three quarters of us, this isn't the States, this is here in Canada, um, almost three quarters of us, if you consider yourself evangelical, 74% think that our brand of Christianity actually benefits Canadian society. However, only 18% of broadly speaking Canadians think that evangelicals benefit society. And I hope that next week, as the big give happens, that we see that we do actually benefit society. So who is right? Is it the 74% of the evangelicals who think that we're the best thing since sliced bread? Or is it the 82% of Canadians who think that we're the worst thing since burnt toast? That's the question. And probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. However, regardless of who is right or wrong, we clearly have a public relations disaster on our hands. And even if you don't consider yourself evangelical, you know, you consider yourself maybe, maybe Christian in a broad sense, many things that I've just said about the label evangelical also apply to this broader term called Christian, in that uh, what, what I mean by the word Christian and what the world hears by the word Christian um, could be worlds apart. And surely uh, that's partly the fault of objectively bad things being done in the name of Christ, like residential schools, for example, things that definitely aren't okay. But it's also because yeah, the principles that we stand on in the Bible automatically set us at odds with the broader Canadian culture that's moving further, further and further away from things like you know, the Golden Rule and the Ten Commandments and the Great Commandment and the Great Commission which says go into the world and make disciples. That's actually a bad thing to do now uh, in the eyes of the world. And so maybe the final frontier that still needs to be overcome is not space as the Trekkies would have you think, but it's in fact the space between my mouth and your ears or between your mouth and my ears or in between my words and your brain. You know, the final frontier that we have to overcome is between the kingdom as it's shown in the pages of this book and the culture that is out there. And so the question is, amid such 
antagonistic national sentiment, how can we encourage ourselves to keep representing Christ in a way that keeps us friends with those that we love? We don't want to burn any bridges unnecessarily, and, but also keeps us true to our God-given mandates to make disciples of all nations. How can we reach the 82% of Canadians who think that we don't actually benefit our society as a whole? And I believe that our passage this morning goes a long way to provide us with the encouragement that we need. And I also hope that it encourages us in the way that we engage with a culture that is increasingly hostile to us and to what we represent. Really, what I'm asking is this, how can we help skeptical, secular Canadians arrive at a point where they are asking the same question that the Jews asked the apostles in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, which is, what does this mean? How do we get our skeptical neighbors there? At the moment, we're not looking for conversion, at least not yet. Our goal is only curiosity. How do we get our neighbors to be curious about the Jesus that we love and we worship? Last week, uh, Sarah did the masterful job of uh, talking about um, yeah, Christ's ascension. And she kept coming back to this phrase, this same Jesus, this same Jesus, over and over again. And, and this was her key text. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven, Acts 1.11. And Sarah drove this point home that we have access to the same Jesus that the disciples saw ascending into heaven. We have access to exactly him in the same way that they did. And then a week and a half later, the same Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to a fearful, oppressed group of people. A group of people who were at odds with the culture. A group of people who followed someone who was crucified as an enemy of the state. A group of people who, 50 days after that crucifixion, are suffering from a public relations crisis with the culture at large, who are wondering whether they have anything to offer the people out there. And so the question for them is the same question for us. How do we find the courage to engage with a skeptical, mistrusting, suspicious culture? How can we reach the 82% of Canadians who think that the church is at best irrelevant and at worst bad news. And so the first truth that helps us to find that courage is this, that the Spirit has come. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, the culture has changed and the Spirit has come. In fact, in some ways the culture hasn't changed. You know, in some ways it was rather similar to how things were in the first century. So in some ways I, I might be able to say actually that the culture hasn't changed, but the Spirit has has come. He is here. The, 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 the same Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God, and the same Spirit who came at Pentecost is infilling us. Verse 2, or verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is day 50 after Jesus rose from the dead. And it's 10 days 
after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, I have no idea what the Trinity were up to in, you know, in that week and a half, um, but uh, I would imagine that there must have been this real mixture of joy because the group is all back together again, um, mixed with anticipation because the next stage of the plan was about to go into motion. On Ascension Day, the resurrected and physical and geographically limited Jesus went up into heaven. And then on Pentecost, the the geographically unlimited Holy Spirit came down. This is the moment that the Holy Spirit was unleashed or launched or released into the wild. And the place that the Holy Spirit chose to touch down on planet Earth was this room in verse 1. Now, the Spirit had been active um, on earth, you know, previously. In fact, lots. He was there when the world was created. Uh, he inspired the Old Testament writers. He, he empowered leaders like the Israelite leaders and craftsmen in Exodus 31 verse 3. What we read in the Old Testament is that He revealed, he planned, he gave life, he inspired prophecies, he inspired praise, he taught, he was worshipped, and he could be grieved. So the Holy Spirit had been at work. But now in Acts chapter 2, something new was happening. He was coming to fulfill this prophecy from Joel chapter 2 that says this, After this, I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity then your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions joel chapter 2 verse 28 so the spirit's doing something new that would that's not just limited to a few people but would actually affect everyone who trusts in christ not just this person here and this person here but everyone in fact yeah talk uh Dr. Tony Merida explains the significance of Pentecost like this, and I find this really helpful. He says this, what happened on the day of Pentecost has abiding significance. The Spirit came and stayed. And then he says this, that the day of Pentecost was like a mayor installing a great water system in a city. From that point forward, every time a new home is built, households are connected to that water system which I think is fantastic. And that's true for you and for me. As we come to life in Jesus Christ, we are connected to the spiritual power reality that is the Holy Spirit. And so if we are to engage with a skeptical culture, we need to trust and believe this first truth that the spirit of power has come. He is here and we all have access to him. We are all filled by him at salvation and we can continue to be filled with him as we walk through this life. We can have his power as our motivation. And the second truth that helps us to get away from maybe this tendency to hide away in the corner or to shy away from representing Christ is this, that the people are here. Acts chapter 2 verse 5, which says this, I need to check my slides next time before I put them up. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. If you have your Bibles open, then you can read along anyways. That's why you should bring your Bibles, because sometimes Pastor Dan screws up. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. 
so the people are there. There were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Every nation was there in Jerusalem in century one, and every nation is here in Canada in 2023. Just yesterday, I did my citizenship test, and I got 19 out of 20, so I'm able to carry on the process. Okay. And, uh, but... More excitingly, uh, in 2019, I actually got to be part of a group of people who welcomed a Pakistani refugee family here into Canada. And of course, we have Southgate, our sister church over in Kentville, who are hosting Ukrainian refugees. And through Cornerstone's mission partners, actually, we are ministering to these people from all over the world who call Canada home. Sarah is, in, is interacting with them uh, at Concordia Campus in Montreal with Power to Change. Miracle Marnie is, um, is, is interacting with people through raising money to fight childhood cancer. We've got Norwood Wesleyan Church and Pastor Nick who's interacting with these people by meeting needs with love and with compassion on the streets of, of the city of Edmonton. We've got yeah, friends for dinner, who's hosting them for meals and sharing with them the love of Christ. People from all over the world are coming to Canada and through our strategic missional partnerships, Cornerstone is sharing with them the hope of Christ. This is why, yeah, two weeks ago, you approached or you approved the giving of 15% of our budget to missions outside of our walls. This is why your tithes and your offerings are literally making all of the difference in the world. Because as you give, then the kingdom is growing in Edmonton, in Cambodia, in Montreal, in Haiti, in Europe, and even here in the city of Ottawa with the world that is on our doorstep. I'm the assistant coach for Maya's soccer team with Ottawa South United, and I'm enjoying it very, very much. And right before the season began, we had a big group Zoom call with all of the people who were interested in coaching various of the teams so that we could learn some of the basics. And there was probably a hundred or more people on the Zoom call. Now, after the presentation from the person in charge, we were about to wrap up the Zoom call when we heard a woman's voice. And she said, excuse me, Excuse me, and she was, you know, on page five of Zoom, you know, she, you know, you have to kind of scan through to see who it is. And then the guy leading the Zoom call let her speak. And all this woman said was, I don't speak English. She'd been there on the Zoom call, willing to participate, wanting to know how she could be part of Ottawa South United soccer program. She sat through this entire one hour phone call, but there was a problem. She couldn't speak English. And when you don't speak the language, getting involved is much harder, right? Having served in missions overseas, if you don't speak the language, getting involved is much harder. And verse 9 of Acts chapter 2 outlines the sheer scope of international representation in Jerusalem at that time. There were Parthians, there were Medes, there were Elamites, there were those living who live in Mesopotamia, and as I'm lift, listing them, see if you can find them, um, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans, and Arabs, all 
represented there. And in the same way that Jews from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish Harvest Festival of Pentecost, so people from all over the world are gathering in Canada, in Ottawa, in North Gore, in Osgood, in your street, in your workplace, even in your pulpit. We are a nation of immigrants. And so for us to overcome our reticence at sharing Christ with these spiritually hungry people, with the people who are here, we need to have these truths grip us, that the Spirit has come, and that the people are here. And next Sunday, like we've already mentioned, but I can't mention it enough, it's so exciting, the people are going to be literally here in our parking lot, people from all over, people with backgrounds and stories and histories that would raise your eyebrows. But they're going to be here. And they will be here because we're going to be doing something rather different. We're going to be doing the big give. We're going to have a free market. We're going to have a free barbecue. We're going to have a free inflatable obstacle course. We're going to have a free walker wash. We're going to be giving away free kingdom literature. And When we put stuff out there for free, it's weird, it's strange, it's unusual. People don't usually do this. And it's going to make people curious. And this is the third truth that keeps us encouraged when reaching out to our larger culture, that the people are are curious. One of the big reasons why Cornerstone is partnering with, with dozens of other churches in this national movement of generosity known as the Big Give is because we want to introduce the world on our doorstep to the radical generosity and the unconditional kindness of our Saviour Jesus Christ. And we hope that as we do this, people start to ask questions because free stuff is an international language. It's, it's not English, it's not Chinese, it's not Spanish. The free, the, it's not even soccer, right? The international language that connects everyone is free stuff. It speaks. And so the folks who show up here next Saturday may not be interested in the gospel yet, but they're interested in free stuff. And if free stuff somehow opens the door to a God who loves them and offers them the free gift of life and a second chance, then isn't that amazing? That's what we want. And so, friends, when God's church does something unusual and countercultural outside of the norm, what we're doing is we're communicating in the language that other people speak. And they aren't expecting it, and they're not sure how to process what they're experiencing. Just like in Acts chapter 2, verse 6, when this sound occurred, a crowd came, came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And most of us probably don't have the supernatural gift of speaking different languages. If you do, that's amazing. Um, There's lots of mission fields that, you know, could use you. But all of us can learn the international language of radical kindness and surprising generosity. And when people who are here see the spirit who has come to work in and through his church, the people are curious. And so the spirit has come. The people are here, and the people are, are curious. They have questions. And when they come with, that, with their questions, the question I have for you is, what do we do next? What's our next move? And the answer is that we tell 
our stories. Here we go. They were astounded. Verse 7, they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? I'm going to list that list again. As you can see, I've been practicing it. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and in Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. Listen to that verse again. Let's read it all together, actually. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. The Spirit has come the people are here, the people have questions, and to answer the questions, God has given us stories. You, you can declare the magnificent acts of God in a way that the people within your sphere can understand. Maybe it's not the market square like in Acts chapter 2. Maybe it's in the church parking lot on June the 3rd, or maybe it's over coffee with your neighbor, because remember that people are curious. They want to know. And here's the other reality, is that yes, we've heard that statistic that 82% of people in that poll think that evangelicals add nothing to the nation. But here's, a, here's another reality, is that people aren't automatically against you because you're a Christian. Regardless of what the media says, they are curious. In their minds, the jury is out and if all that they ever hear from you is silence, then they're going to draw the conclusion based on whatever narrative they hear, whether it's the news or social media or YouTube. And if you don't say anything, then they're going to assume that because you love Jesus, that you are all of these things that the media says you are, that, you're, that you are a bigot, that you're hateful, that you're, that you're unkind, that you're racist. And the great news is that to, to combat these lies, you don't need to have a degree in apologetics or in comparative religion. All you need to do is to tell your story. Sure, Canada is a country, we all, we all know this, it's a country that's drifted far away from the gospel. But Canadians haven't drifted far away from the gospel. Most of them don't even have an opinion, but they are curious. And so if, if you can go into your work week, into your workplace, into your neighborhood, knowing in your heart that the Spirit has come, that the people are there, that the people have questions, and if you know that God has given you a story, then what is to stop you inviting your neighbor or colleague or friend for a coffee and asking them first what their story is? And then when they turn to ask you, you can share your story. You know, the way that Jesus has come through, through for you, or the way that, that the Holy Spirit has ministered to you, or the way that he has brought you hope or peace or joy or love. Or even as Sarah shared last week, that you can share that, you know, you're actually still in process, that you don't have the answers, but in the uncertainty, you're holding on to Christ. You know, if someone asks me, I might tell the story of how God took a weak, afraid, stuttering 21-year-old Welsh man whose faith was this tiny, fragile uh, thing, and he sent me to a ship for two years, and God graciously 
deconstructed and reconstructed my faith. Or I might tell the story of the radical salvation of my angry younger brother who's now preaching the streets of Wales. Or I might tell the story of Lily who has gone through unbelievable hardship and surgeries and yet her family are still holding on to Jesus. I might tell the story of the transformation and the growth of my own girls over this past year. What about you? What is a story that you can have ready in your back pocket, ready to share over coffee with a curious friend, or even ready to share here at the Big Give on June the 3rd? Because stories open the, open the door so that people can encounter the gospel. Okay, just listen to this flow in verse 11 and 12. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astonished and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Because what we see here is the people of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, are declaring the acts of God in a way that the people could understand. And then the crowd asked, what does this mean? And that's really where all of this is heading is to bring people to a place where they can ask the question, what does this mean? Maybe I got Jesus wrong, they're thinking in their minds. Maybe the church isn't the hateful group of bigots that I thought they were. Maybe there's something more to the story that I'm not hearing in the media. Maybe there is an answer to the emptiness and the loneliness that I feel inside. Maybe God loves me. What does this mean? Friends, the uh, article from Faith Today that I've been referencing from quotes these words from, from Andy Bannister, who's the director of the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and he also wrote an amazingly titled book called How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. And if that's a fear of yours, how do you talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot? Maybe read the book. But here's what Andy Bannister says. He says, you read Acts 2... The church is 120 frightened men and women hiding out in fear of the authorities. Within 300 years, the church has grown to become 51% of the Roman Empire, which is just unbelievable. It shows that the gospel growth can come from, from below. And that's in a very pagan, very hostile society. It was a grassroots movement. And our society is a very pagan, very hostile society, just like it was in the first century. But this change all starts with the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has come, that the people are here, the people are curious. You have a story, and your story can open the door to truth. But friends, we're human, and if there's anything that's true about human beings is that we leak our spiritual lives probably look more like a colander than it does a watertight thermos. And so here's my offer to you. As a leaking human being, if you need to be filled this morning, if you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, if you need the power to witness, if you know that you need a fresh touch from God this morning, then just ask him. Just ask him. Just say to him that you need him. And this same spirit who came on Pentecost will come and he will fill you. You can ask the same spirit to 
yet to really give you this power and the passion to represent him in a questioning culture, to friends who are curious, to a world that is on your doorstep. Because being empty isn't something to be ashamed of. Hands up if you felt empty any time over the past week or two. I know that I have. Okay, this is a reality. Being empty isn't something to be ashamed of. But it's what you do with your emptiness that makes all the difference. Do you maybe continue limping along, acting like you're filled and everything's okay? Big smile on your face. I'm okay. Because if that's you, then what you're saying is that you don't need Jesus. That you don't need the Holy Spirit. Or do you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again because you leak? Because your seams are fraying. Because it's this same Jesus who is at the right hand of God who's interceding for you. And it's this same Spirit who is standing by ready to fill you so that you can be his witness. Without him, you can't be your witness. You can't will yourself into witnessing. It's only as the Spirit fills you. It's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come along and live in me, then I could write plays like him. And if the Spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. These words are from William Temple. Acts chapter 2 says this, And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. 